can only imagine uh, going up against a thousand pound elk or deer armed with barbed arrows and a flint tip spear. Welcome to 100 Years, 100 Objects, stories from the collections of Lancaster City Museums. My name is Rachel Roberts and I'm the Collections Registrar for Lancaster City Museums. In this series, we're celebrating 100 years of our museums by looking in depth at 100 of our favourite objects and the stories that they can tell. Today, we're hunting down information about a massive extinct animal. It isn't a dinosaur, but instead is a gigantic deer that lived over 11,000 years ago. Only a fragment of the actual animal survives, but even this can impress upon us the sheer size and power of the animal and tell us a little about the world in which it lived. Today's object are the antlers of an Irish elk. The antlers are very large, about 225 centimetres across from tip to tip. All that remains now is the top of the skull, which makes up only a tiny fraction of the overall width, and two sweeping antlers projecting from it. The antlers are palmate, meaning that the thin tines around the edge radiate from a broad, flat central stem. This makes them look like gigantic fallow deer antlers, rather than the thinner antlers of species like red deer. Small antlers project out near the base, very near the face of the animal, and a little above them two sharp, curved points project forwards from the front edge. As the antlers go up on each side, they become wider and would have had at least five projections on each side, although some of them are now missing or blunted. We spoke to Dr Chris Donaldson, a lecturer in cultural history at Lancaster University, about the antlers, the animals that they came from, and why he finds them so fascinating. History fascinates me, but I don't think there's anything that stirs the imagination more than encountering the traces of prehistoric life. Written records and historical artefacts can be astounding. I spend a lot of my time looking at such things, but none of that really compares, I think, with what it's like to come face to face with the remnants of animals that lived long before what we'd usually recognize as civilization got started. I think of the wonder a lot of us would feel at being taken to places like the Natural History Museum as children and standing before the skeletal or fossilized forms of prehistoric creatures, including, in some cases, our own ancestors. I think you'd really have to try not to feel awestruck when encountering such things. Uh, they can certainly help put a good many of the concerns that occupy us on a day-to-day -day basis into perspective. And that, I suppose, helps explain my mild obsession with the Irish elk antlers that are now in Lancaster City Museum. Now, admittedly, the Irish elk is a misnomer. As Stephen Jay Gould, the American paleontologist, pointed out in his book, Ever Since Darwin, the Irish elk was neither exclusively Irish nor actually an elk. It was uh, the largest species of deer that's ever lived, and that fact is actually rather nicely captured in the species' scientific name, Megaloceros giganteus, which just means gigantic great horn. Uh, the species got called the Irish elk by early modern natural historians because some of the first known specimens, or first generally known specimens, were found in peat bogs in Ireland, and they were thought to resemble the frame and form of a Eurasian elk. Before delving into the past and environment of the Irish elk, Chris explained how the antlers had managed to make their way into the museum's collections after so many thousands of years. But as far as I know, it's not known for certain. Uh, I think some people have speculated, though, that they might be the antlers that are recorded as having been discovered at Larbrick, uh, which is near Preston, back in the 1600s. 
Uh, but what's clear, though, is that they, you know, they are part of the museum's collection and have been since the early 1930s. And they also have the added distinction of having been examined by uh, none other than Dr. Richard Owen, one of Lancaster's most famous sons, a Victorian scientist, an important anatomist, but also very important for his contributions to what we now know as paleontology, an important figure in the establishment of the Natural History Museum, but who's also generally credited with having coined the word dinosauria, or dinosaur as we would use it today. And it does seem fitting in a way that, that these antlers and such an outstanding piece of uh, region's prehistory should be connected in this way with the life of Lancaster's very own pioneering paleontologist, Richard Owen. Then we followed Chris back over 11,000 years to find out why the Irish elk would have been in the Lancashire area and what the local environment would have been like so long ago. Those are both really good questions. Uh, the, the fact that Irish elk were present here does have a lot to do with the way the world's climate was changing at the end of the last uh, glacial period, which is around, say, 11,000, 11,600 years ago. Um, and those dates are often referred to as the start of the Holocene Epoch. Now, the word Holocene uh, just means wholly new, and that's pretty apt because its beginning was marked by an age of pretty tremendous environmental transformation and change. The, the climate was warming, in that period, uh, the glaciers were melting, sea levels were rising, and new forests and coastal marshes began to emerge across what we now know as the northwest of England, including around Lancashire, the coast of Lancashire. And those remains of the ancient forests that developed in those periods are sometimes found after storms along the Lancashire coast, including around Morecambe Bay. And that's something that, uh, say, Morecambe Bay Partnership have been exploring as part of their Forest Footprints and Fauna Project, which I think is something great to look into if you have the time. But what matters for our purpose is that uh, those forests and coastal marshes that began to develop at the start of the Holocene, around 11,000, 11,600 years ago, they attracted migratory animals, including our friend the giant deer, uh, which would probably have been drawn to the coastal forests uh, by the abundance of rich vegetation. A lot like elk and deer that are living today, uh, the giant deer, the Irish elk, would have mainly fed on grasses and flowering plants when it could get them. Lancashire was home to a, a lot of different animals back then, um, including, it's generally thought, archaic horses, as well as lynx, uh, wolves, and reindeer even. And uh, we know that because of the remains of these animals that have been found in places around Morecambe Bay, and certainly further south down the coast of Lancashire, including places like Poulton the Fylde near Blackpool. There was an excavation under a bungalow there back in the 1970s that unearthed the remains of an 11,000-year-old elk, which is now at the Harris Museum in Preston. Um, and actually, that, that, the skeleton of that elk had barbed points shot inside of it, which provides the earliest evidence we have of animals like us, I guess that's to say people, living in this part of England. Um, those people, I guess in a manner of speaking, were the first Lancastrians. So what were these early people like, and how would they have interacted with the Irish elk which shared the land with them? They probably would have been quite a lot like the other human beings that were living in England, or what we know as England now, around that time. So you might think of people like Cheddar Man, uh, who's so-called not because he had a particular penchant for cheese, uh, dairy products is now 
generally thought didn't become part of a staple diet here in, in Britain for another four to five thousand years. Rather, he's called Cheddar Man because his remains were discovered in Cheddar Gorge in Somerset. Now, Cheddar Man lived around 10,000 years ago at the onset of what's sometimes called the Mesolithic or Middle Stone Age, roughly coincides with the start of the Holocene. And his lifestyle would have been a lot like the people who were traveling around Lancashire in the same period. So these people seem to have been hunter-gatherers who lived a migratory existence, moving with the changes of the seasons and following the animals which they hunted, on which they relied. These people were also pretty adept at making stone and bone tools, and certainly excavations around Lancashire have revealed that. And certainly the barbed points that were found in, inside that elk down in Poulton reveal you know, a great deal of advanced technology in the manufacturing of stone and bone tools. But what's also interesting, I think, is that recent genetic analysis suggests that these people would have had dark skin pigmentation. Their ancestors, like our ancestors, would have left Eastern Africa tens of thousands of years earlier, but their skin pigmentation doesn't really seem to have changed all that much. At least this is what genetic analysis has revealed, uh, which is in a roundabout way, I guess, uh, to say that the first people here in Lancashire would have been black. They'd also have been around the same height as us, at least the same height as me. Uh, evidence of Mesolithic people in Lancashire that's been found on, say, the shore of the Sefton coast, down near Formby, suggests that adult males would have stood around five and a half to six feet tall. I'm about five seven. And I think that matters when we start to think what it would have been like for these folks to have squared up, toed a hoof uh, against a giant deer. And like an Irish elk, uh, like the ones uh, whose antlers are now hanging in the city museum, would have probably stood about six to seven foot tall at the shoulder and weighed upwards of a thousand pounds. The antlers in the city museum span about seven feet, but in some cases it's reckoned that uh, Irish elk could have had antlers as much as 12 feet wide, so you know, massive. Now, I've had the chance to speak with hunters in Arizona in the past who shot thousand pound bull elk, and they usually use uh, 30 to 40 caliber rifle cartridges, which can pack enough punch to kill an elephant, but even armed like that, I think elk hunting takes a bit of chutzpah. You can only imagine uh, going up against a thousand pound elk or deer armed with barbed arrows and a flint tip spear. Well, the thought evidently um, has inspired people for a long time. I think it's kind of interesting that William Wordsworth, in one of his lesser known poems, includes a few lines about uh, what he's imagining sort of uh, the Irish elk moving through the mighty forest that once spread along the shores. We're stocked, he writes, if I'm quoting correctly, the, the huge deer to his shaggy lair, through paths and alleys roofed with somber green, thousands of years before the silent air was pierced by whizzing shaft of Hunter Keen. And Wordsworth actually isn't the only poet who's written uh, with wonder about the Irish elk closer to our own day. Seamus Heaney also writes about the, the remains of Irish elk being found in poems like Bogland, where he describes uh, the sight of an Irish elk skeleton kind of recently lifted from a peat moss with its massive frame transformed as he puts it into an astounding crate full of air. Before he left, Chris explained why such a massive animal, at home in a lush forest and part of a bustling ecosystem, finally became extinct. It was an interesting topic for debate that actually lots of uh, what sort of, we now regard as paleontologists or early natural historians debated at length the reasons why the Irish elk became extinct because you won't find them in Ireland or England or anywhere for that matter today. It was a long time considered perhaps it was as a result of human hunting 
Uh, but as say Stephen Gold has noted, the giant deer are actually also likely to struggle to adapt to the changing environment of the early Holocene. So hunting probably did play a role, uh, but actually the changes in the world's environment in that period also must have played a role. The species, at its greatest extent, seems to have ranged over what's now Europe and northern Asia, as well as northern Africa, towards the end of the, of the last glacial period. But the last of these magnificent creatures, certainly on these islands, probably died around the same time as the Poulton elk. And that's another aspect, I think, of these antlers that uh, might uh, give us pause. Uh, we were also living through a period of tremendous environmental change, much of which does seem to have been brought about, or at least accelerated by human behavior. I think we'd do well to look to the remains of extinct prehistoric animals, such as the Irish elk, as a reminder of what we stand to lose if we're not more careful. But in any case, I think, you know, I'd strongly recommend anyone who's out the opportunity to, to pay a visit to the city museum to see the antlers for themselves. Thank you for coming with us through the forests of a Lancashire long gone. We do hope you will come with us on other journeys in our other episodes of 100 Years, 100 Objects, where we will be tracking down everything from lithographs to Latin inscriptions. 